you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Here, let's let the Iron Lady sing because my voice is there you go. It's better when she does it. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate it. As always, you're bringing the most smartest people, the Pulitzer Prize winners, the CEOs, the billionaires, the White House advisors, the government officers, all the cool people who have these really interesting stories that they bring share and these uh, uh, spinsters of tales. Spinsters of Tales. I'm trying to sound educated this morning, but uh, they bring us their great novels and all the stuff that can uh, just change your world with the stories they tell and entertain us as well. We have another amazing author on the show. This is her debut novel. It's called Radiant Heat. It came out or comes out January 23rd, 2024. Sarah Jane Collins joins us on the show. We're going to be talking to us, her and us. We'll be talking about her latest book. She's a writer, editor, and journalist from Brisbane, Australia. Uh, she moved to New York by way of Sydney and Melbourne. Her work has appeared in The Age, The Sydney Morning Herald, Overland, and others. She has an MFA in fiction from Columbia University. Her fiction has won the Overland Fair Australia Prize and been shortlisted for other awards. And although New York is her home now, she misses the beaches of Australia but not the spiders. I love it. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Jane. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am excellent. We're just getting, kind of getting rolling here on the uh, Monday morning of the of the of the thing over here. So, uh, give us the dot coms. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Okay, I'm on Instagram primarily, Sarah Jane Marie, and I'm on X. I guess it's called now, not Twitter. Same handle, and yeah, Facebook, all those places. So right. that's where I am. <laughs> there you go. So it's billed as after the fire, the reckoning begins. Radiant Heat. Give us a 30,000 overview, if you would, please, of the book. Sure. So Radiant Heat is the story of a woman who narrowly survives a very severe bushfire, or as you would call them in America, a wildfire. And then she finds a dead woman in a car in her driveway who she's never met before. But the woman has her name and address on a piece of paper. And she doesn't know why she's there. And it, this kind of leads her down a rabbit hole of chasing her own past, but also the reason for this woman to be at her house at that well, point in time. And i just like to point out right now that it was not me that did that. I just want to make sure everyone's clear on that. It's a novel. <laughs> so this is pretty interesting. Now, this is your first debut novel. Congratulations. Yeah. These are always fun. And uh, what, uh, what, what, what kind of led you to write about this sort of, uh, you know, topic? I mean, no bushfires are mm -hmm. big in, in, uh, in Australia. What, 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 uh, what, what was it that tripped you on to this uh, plot? So I was a journalist in Melbourne for five years and in Sydney for five years as well. But while I was working in Melbourne, there was a very severe bushfire called the Black Saturday bushfire that killed mm -hmm. 173 people in 2009. And that fire was kind of unprecedented. There'd never been a catastrophe like that in Australia before. 
there's been other fires since that have been very devastating, but not quite as much life has been lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a journalist, I covered a lot of the recovery after that fire and spoke to a lot of people that had lived through it and kind of saw the community rebuilding firsthand. Mm-hmm. And I also covered the courts in Victoria where a lot of the kind of mid-tier offences get committed, a lot of stuff involving nasty situations domestically and violence against women. And so those two threads were always things that I were interested in exploring, the idea of, you know, how do we rebuild after a big crisis and also what is the kind of impact on the lives of Australian women from these kind of terrible events that they experience. So I, I sat down one day and I just started writing um, and I wrote the first chapter actually uh, over a decade ago now. Um, but then I just put it down and did a lot of other work and mm-hmm. came back to it when I moved over to New York to do my MFA at Columbia. There you yeah. go. It's billed as a vivid, emotionally intense and satisfying cerebral psychological thriller. In the in the manner of uh, Tana French, I believe that is, or yeah, or Gillian Flynn. I'm reading it behind, I'm peeking behind the camera that's on the screen. So uh, congratulations! It sounds like it's getting a lot of great reviews and stuff. Tell us about your. So this this book was ten years in the writing. Is that correct then? Yeah, I mean, on and off. So I think mm-hmm. I, I wrote the first chapter, and the first chapter is largely the same, which is surprising to me because you know you would think you would you would go through a lot of edits and different iterations, and I did actually do that but I came back to that first chapter almost exactly as it was um so but then I didn't write anything for a while and then I kind of wrote it in a big chunk for two years between 2016 and 2018 and then you know edits and revisions for a couple of years after that the publishing industry is a very slow moving beast it doesn't it doesn't get things out into the world particularly quickly so you know (laughs) Yeah. I mean, sometimes yeah. we get books that are nonfiction, you know, about a story or something. And, and then it's, it's kind of interesting how even if it's when it's delayed a year, year and a half, sometimes by publishers, because, you know, they do their, their, their thing, it'll still be relevant when it comes out, like sometimes more relevant. And you're just like, hey, did you plan this this way? Yeah. <laughs> we had somebody in a, on a politic book recently that were like, hey, did you plan on knowing what was going on here? Because uh, you sure nailed it on that book. But uh, so give us a little bit more about your background. What, what inspired you to want to be a writer? You've obviously done a lot of writing outside the book. What, what got you into that field? How did you grow up? You know, what shaped you? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Brisbane, which is Australia's third largest city, I guess. It's mm-hmm. sort of, I, I, when I'm trying to explain Australia to Americans, I often say that Queensland, which is the state that Brisbane is in, is like the Florida of Australia. So I guess, <laughs> I, guess I, I guess that that would make Brisbane like Miami or something, but I've not huh. been to Miami, so I can't, I can't say. But, is that kind of a reference of like the Florida man, Florida woman sort of headlines? Is yeah, that, I mean, there's definitely a little bit of that vibe in Queensland. I'm not going to lie. A little yeah. bit of bath salts. face. Yeah. Going, there's, and, like, you know, there's, there's crocodiles and uh, tropical and weather and all of that sort of stuff. So not, anyway, not to be stereotyping my home state or the state of Florida. But yeah, that's kind of my comparison for Americans. Anyway, so I grew up there and my father is very passionate about theatre. And so we saw a lot of theatre growing up and he actually directed a lot of amateur theatre. And so I guess storytelling and stories were very, very important in my family as a child. My mom is a huge reader. We had like a thousand books in our upstairs living room. My brother just would spend all day, every day reading books. 
Uh, and so that was sort of how I visited the rest of the world from my little mm-hmm. bedroom in Brisbane. And uh, I just always loved to write from, from as soon as I knew how to do it. I was obsessed with writing things mm-hmm. and I would always write letters instead of having conversations. And when I was a kid, I decided that being a novelist wasn't a very financially mm-hmm. like smart uh, career path. So I thought, you know what, I'll be a newspaper journalist. That's a really guaranteed money kind of job. This is like, you know, the 1980s. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and then I, I went to university and I got a job on a newspaper and three months into working at that newspaper, they had their first big round of redundancies because it was 2007. And this is when all the newspapers started, you know, Mm-hmm. cutting stuff so I just yeah. I started my newspaper career at exactly the wrong time to start wow. a newspaper career <laughs> and I, I did that for a while and, and I guess I just always couldn't put down the idea of writing a book so here we are <laughs> what, what, a, what a great way to grow up stories like we, I always say on the show stories are the owner's manual to life and it's how we learn yeah. whether it's fiction or non-fiction or you know we we love the the labyrinth texture of stories and, and what they tell us and how we view the world and how we view ourselves and how we view people. Boy, I'm really being pontificating all right, <laughs> on this riff. But I, you know, that I tell, I tell young people, I'm like, be a story collector, go through life and collect stories. And uh, because that's, that's how we learn, you know, yeah. television. I, it didn't occur to me. I was a real idiot. And I still am actually, I think we all know that the audience is like, he's an idiot. Um, but, I didn't, it just never struck me till I was 50 that I'd been a story collector. I'd been a griot collecting stories all my life and how important it was all about stories. It never occurred to me that film and books and TV and you know, all the stuff we consume are stories. It's, yeah. it's the fabric of life. And it just never really, I just really had that epiphany like, holy shit, it's all stories. <laughs> Well, so you know, you got you got there eventually, and that's what matters. <laughs> that's, true. that's true. I finally came around. That's, that's usually how I, um, it works. I also we lived with my grandmother as well, and she she loved to just tell a story. Like she oh, really? would just tell a story about my aunts and uncle, my great aunts and uncle, or my mom growing up, or anything like that. And she would just go on and on in a very entertaining way. But mm-hmm. so I kind of I had that oral storytelling happening as well. And my mom is a photographer, so she would. She was a very visual storyteller, but she taught us how to to tell a visual story as well. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we were a very creative family, and I feel very lucky to have had those experiences as a kid because, you know, other kids maybe were spending a lot more time playing sport, and I just got to be in other whole worlds reading books and having fun times watching my dad rehearse plays and in the dark room with my mother. So, you know, yeah, yeah it was great. <laughs> they, they say that maybe the thing that saves us humans from the new species we've created of AI is our ability to create and our ability to tell stories. And, and uh, maybe, maybe that will be our edge that, you know, it, the, it, AI will uh, keep us around for. <laughs> so we'll keep my fingers crossed on that. So a lot of your research for the book came from your newspaper journalism and stuff then. Yeah, yeah. Actually, like most of it came from experiences that I had as a newspaper journalist. And then I did, you know, some extra reading and talked to some people that I had worked with who had actually, you know, been in bushfire conditions as the Black Saturday fires were receding. Mm -hmm. And also just reading some of the firsthand accounts of my colleagues who had, who lived, because the fires were very close to Melbourne. And I actually had a, a colleague at another newspaper who I was working the courts around with he his family home 
was destroyed and he very narrowly survived. So <laughs> there was a lot of, uh, I guess, what primary sources that I could draw on to get that texture that you that I think is really important when you write something like this to kind of make people be able to feel that they're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Um, the boots on the ground sort of. No. Yeah. And, and you know, then, the first, one of the first things I learned when I was a cadet journalist is they got the, the Country Fire Association came in to do fire safety training with us. Oh, really? And it was designed for, because it, because Australia has bushfires pretty regularly, and particularly in Victoria. And so it was designed so that if a bushfire happened, we could be sent out to cover it and they would know that we would be, we'd behave safely. Yeah. And one of the first things that the firefighters told us was about the radiant heat and how radiant heat is actually one of the most dangerous things in a bushfire. Um, yeah, which I'd, I'd never heard of before, but it's, it gets so hot that it doesn't matter how you take shelter or where you take shelter, it'll just kill you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, mm. which is obviously very bleak, but also very interesting, I think. So, I think yeah. we have that in Las Vegas during the summers. There's three months of the radiant heat. So if you go outside, you, you turn to, you turn to ash. <laughs> so. I've never been to Vegas. I'll have to go, but I'll avoid those times. Don't go in the summer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's a dry heat, that's what they always say. But no, radiant heat. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, note to self, stay to the radiant heat anytime you're in Australia. Yeah. And just, yeah, eat just all the stay t- away from bushfires generally. Uh, They're not good. <laughs> if you're feeling safe, eat Tim Tams. Those are the best things to eat in Australia. At least I think Tim so. There's, there's probably a lot of other things there, too. You know, you should ask someone to send you some caramello koalas. Camarillo, co- Camarillo koalas? Caramello koalas. Caramello yes. koalas? There yeah. it is. Australia. Now, these mm-hmm. aren't the ones that have chlamydia, right? No, no, they're, they're safe. They're safe. I don't know how don't you guys worry. got a bunch of koalas that got that. I just thought that was the funniest thing That's, I heard. I mean, about. it's actually very common in the koala population, believe it or not. Can, One di- One Direction came to Australia, like I guess a decade ago now, and uh, they were holding koalas at one of the koala parks, and a uh, koala peed on Harry Styles, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, did the koala give Harry Styles chlamydia?" I'm not even joking. That's a real thing that happened. That's the excuse <laughs> he used last time I got it. So uh, there you go. <laughs> so I've got this pulled up. Cat, it's cat. Cadbury dairy milk. Yeah. Yeah. I'll order some. There's probably somebody who can get this to me locally, but uh, yeah, I get the Tim Tams from, uh, are the Tim Tams, I think there's places like world market that sell Tim Tams. Are they the exact same? Yeah. Yeah. The ones that you get in America that are called Tim Tams are the same. They're exactly the same. All right. Yeah, because I want that. I want that rich Australian <laughs> flavor mixed with uh, whatever else you guys put in there. That's uh, probably something from the down under. So uh, when you uh, did your character research on, and, and you, you well, when you fleshed out your characters for the book, how did you approach your character development? What were some of the things that went into it? Did you did you bring from people? You know, sounds like you have a pretty rich story base to pull from for all the reading you did. Did you pull anyone yeah. from your personal life or? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we all borrow from our lives when we write. I, you know, and what's what's that thing that Nora Ephron said that you know anything, everything is copy, right? So, um, yes, is the short answer. There's definitely characters in there that remind me of people I know. You know, for diplomatic reasons, I probably shouldn't be too specific about which ones are which. <laughs> I think. Um, I think that there's a lot of my more cynical side in the in the protagonist, Allison, oh. and there's also a really a lot of my grandmother and my grandmother's best friend in her friend Sal, who is an older woman. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, that one I think I, I, I think is an obvious one and I don't think anyone would be surprised mm. by that. But <laughs> Are but, any um, characters based on me? No, I'm just kidding. I- <laughs> oh, like the villain, obviously. Oh, the villain. Oh. <laughs> All right. The judge yeah. would probably agree with you on that. Uh, so there you go. What, what was your writing routine? I mean, obviously, it took 10 years to do this. Did you, did you, uh, somewhere you, you had to start ramping this and start getting really serious? So yeah. I mean, when I was, when I was at Columbia doing my MFA, you kind of, that's a really rigorous program and mm-hmm. you have to turn in a lot of work. And so I was turning in short stories, but I was trying to turn in a chunk of this every semester as well. And then in my final semester, I only turned in the book, the workshops. But I guess my routine when I really got into writing it was there was was a little bar around the corner from the place I used to live in Greenpoint that I used to go to three times a week with my laptop and just sit there and type for four hours until I'd written as many words as I thought I needed to write that day. And then I would uh, put the laptop away and play some pool. Yeah. <laughs> pool. Pool. I love billiards. Yeah. 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 I mean, just, just, you know, bar pool. Oh, there you go. Uh, house yeah, I love house pool. bar rules. I used to be, I used to be a good pool player shark back in the day. Yeah. Uh, that was when my eyes still worked. So there you <laughs> go. So uh, let's see. How do, uh, what, what advice to give to aspiring authors who wish to write novels? I mean, I, it's the most obvious advice and it's not really that helpful, but really my advice is just, just write it. Like I have so many friends that who, who are wonderful writers and who have great ideas, who talk a lot about their ideas, but then they don't, they don't have time or they're, you know, they're doing their full-time job or, you know, life gets in the way and they, they don't actually sit down and write. Um, Mm -hmm. And it seems like the most obvious thing to say, but, Truly, that's going to get you so much further than any other piece of esoteric advice I could give you about post-it notes or character studies or where you get your inspiration from. It's just sit down, wrestle with that blank page and just write until you've got enough words that you can form it into something that you can show someone else and then you can start the process of revision, you know, <laughs> just, just write yeah. it. You know, I, I, I started when I wrote my first book, I started an accountability group and it was just like everyone just trying to write a day. And, you know, I remember at first it was like, really look at a whole hour. That's eternity. You're trying to write stuff. And then eventually it just starts the roll and, you know, yeah. speed and you get going and you're eventually you're cooking and, and uh, all that good stuff. I'm trying to get back on that track now. But yeah, just, just write. Like I would have, and, and what's funny was a lot of people in my accountability group, they were trying to edit as they would write, you know, they like, sure, make sure all the spelling and the periods mm-hmm. are in the right place and stuff. And I was like, dude, you guys, you guys are, you guys are just really slowing yourself. Just, just write the damn thing. Cause that thing's going to go through, you know, 50 edits, you know, yeah. by the time you're done, don't worry about where the commas are. Just, just get it done. And so uh, I was the only one who survived the book accountability group. <laughs> so I think that was one of the things that I, I did what you said, you know, just, just write. And I would just, yeah, I called it puking on the page, which is, which is a scientific term, but I would just, I would just write. And, you know, sometimes it was really awful. Well, most times it was, that's what the editor said when he threw out half the book, but uh, you know, we got there. So there you go. Now, one of the mean things that uh, they do to you as a, as a new author is as soon as the day comes when the book drops, they have one question for you. Uh, what do you got next? Uh, <laughs> and you're just like, I just poured my soul into this damn thing. What do you want from me, people? Uh, any future new projects you're working on? 
Yeah, I, I, I have started working on the next thing, which, well, what I hope will be the next thing, which I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's going to be set in New York, which is obviously different oh. for me because this one is set in Australia. But, you know, I live here now and I think the, t- the way that I write, I'm very interested in detail, like visceral detail. And, and I, I, I think that I'm better at observing a place where I am than imagining a place where I'm not, if that makes sense. Uh, (laughs) Well, New York is a Um, fabric that uh, there's a lot to take from, man. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like this project is is sort of in part inspired by everyone's journey through hell that was COVID, the lockdown, Mm -hmm. um, and sort of how that made everyone a little bit crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, in New York, and take, no way. yeah, yeah. Well, not just in New York. I think that New York happened everywhere, people, didn't it? People crazy in New York, no way. <laughs> people crazy subway. in New York, yeah. And I know this is very <laughs> shocking, groundbreaking. Been on even. the subway. <laughs> so yeah, it kind of it takes that sort of that that hot house feverish kind of feeling, mm-hmm. and uh, and then adds in some murders, and oh. uh, yeah, but it's going to mm-hmm. be fun. It's going to yeah. be a bit a bit more fun than this book i think but it's still going to be messy and and dark and all of those kind of things that i think are good (laughs) there you go well people love that suspense right yeah yeah so and when i when i was 10 my dad gave me a copy of uh, patricia cornwall's first book i think it's called postmortem and uh, he said i think you'd really like this and i took it to school and my teacher said do your parents know that you're reading this book? And, and I said, oh, my dad gave it to me. He said I'd really like it. <laughs> now we know who hurt you. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, so, I mean, I've, I've, loved, I've loved the thrillers and the crime reads uh-huh. my whole life. And so, yeah, I'll probably still stick a little bit in that lane, but slightly different to this one. Yeah. Now, in your bio, you mentioned you do not like the Australian spiders. Have you thought about writing a thriller based on those? <laughs> <laughs> no, because then I would have to think too much about oh, the spiders. That's true. They are truly horrendous. You'd have um, dreams, probably, or nightmares of the spiders. Yeah, uh, yeah Could you exactly. be focusing on them too much? Yeah, that's, I see I that. Still, that's to, to this day, I still close my eyes whenever that horrible giant spider in Lord of the Rings comes out of its cave. <laughs> I've never, I've never actually seen it. I'm like, I don't, I can't, no, thank you. I've seen pictures <laughs> of the real Australian spiders and yeah, I, I, just, I just burn everything down. If it came in my house, I just, let me well, lie down fire and move. There are, there are ones called huntsman spiders. Yeah, the that huntsman. Are not, they're not poisonous. And so everyone always is like, you should be nice to them, but they are huge and they do live in your house. They live inside. They do? I actually have. Yeah, I had one once I was like, I came home from work late and no one else was home and I was really tired. So I just crashed in into my bed without turning the light on or anything in my room. And I had a cat at the time and he jumped up on the bed and then he just froze and was staring at the wall behind me. And I went, what, what are you looking at? What, what are you, please be looking at a moth. Like, please be looking at something very innocuous. And so like I turn around, I turn the light on and there is a huntsman spider the size of my hand on the wall directly behind the bed. <laughs> wow. I was like, okay, I'm sleeping on the couch tonight and then we're yeah. burning the house down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can, so they're not venomous, but you can get a nausea and headache sometimes, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anyone, I've, I've never known anyone to be sick from a huntsman. And I, I also know people that, like, encourage them into their homes because they don't have 
a phobia of spiders and they like that they eat mosquitoes and other things. Oh, but yeah. I, no, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, I agree with you. I'm on the same page. You know, hey, I got an idea for you for a book in New York. I, for some reason in TikTok, I picked these up. I think there's a channel that's doing it and it's like the rats of New York. And they, always, they have all these videos of like rats fighting over food and pizza. Remember the pizza rat? Yeah, pizza rat. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like based on that. And so they it's just videos of all these rats in the in the like the subway and 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 stuff running around and they're fighting over food and it's just kind of like and like how oblivious people are to it. They're just like, yeah, it's a bunch of rats fighting over pizza. Yeah, whatever. It's true. There are so many rats in the subway that you just kind of, you're like, oh, there's one of my friends just hanging out, you know? <laughs> yeah, they have names. So, Sarah, <laughs> uh, anything more you want to tease out or pitch on the book as we go out? I would just say that if, you, if you're a person that's interested in Australian culture or if you're interested in exploring ideas around grief and post-traumatic stress, but also solving an interesting mystery, then it's a great, I think it's a great read. And I had a lot of fun writing it. And I really am very excited to share it with the world now. It feels like it's been, you know, gestating. I feel like I'm an elephant parent or something. It's just been gestating for so long. But yeah, I really hope that people read it and that they enjoy it and they take something meaningful from it. Because that's the whole point of this kind of exchange really, isn't it? There you go. Well, very exciting. Congratulations <laughs> on getting your first Thank book you. there. There you go. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of fun with it. And uh, give us the dot coms, wherever you want people to get to know you on the interwebs. Yeah. So uh, just Sarah Jane Marie, which is spelled M-A-R-E-E. And that's my Instagram. That's my X handle. And that's my Facebook as well. So there you go. Order yeah. it up, folks, wherever fine books are sold. Radiant Heat. January 23rd, 2024, Sarah Jane Collins, and watch for her future stuff that she works on. Thanks so much for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, Chris Foss, one on the tickety talkity, and Chris Foss, uh, Facebook.com. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.